Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you, Lord. We are so grateful for the Word of God. And Lord, we long for your presence and your power. Lord, we know that if we have the presence of God and the power of God, we've got everything sufficient to do what is necessary to love you and in humility to honor you. And Heavenly Father, I pray for that man and I pray for that woman who has come here this evening and they have lived with a giant far too long. Lord, I pray that they would stoop in the brook and pick up the stone that's going to be necessary. And Lord, we know that Jesus is the great rock, the cornerstone. And Lord, Jesus is our champion. Lord, we pray that we can trust him. Lord, we claim the promise that we are complete in in Christ, and that can't mean incomplete. And so again, Father, we commit this time to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 17, where we left off, beginning in verse 31, it says, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail. Because of him your servant will go and fight with the Philistine." With the giant. In our last study, we talked about facing the giants, and now we talk about slaying the giant. And for those of you who are with me, you remember I gave you an assignment. And do you remember what your assignment was? To name your giant. And then to come up with a plan on how to slay that giant. Was your giant fear? Was your giant loneliness? Perhaps your giant is discouragement or worry or guilt or temptation or anger or resentment or doubt or procrastination. Maybe you chose for your giant failure or jealousy. For some of you, it may have been a pernicious addiction that has haunted you all of your life. And David's giant is nine feet tall. And wherever he walked, he left an impression in the pavement. And that's how you might be feeling. That the giant looms large. But the challenge is going to be met. Look what it says in verse 31. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Remember, Saul is troubled by doubt. He is troubled by fear. He is troubled by insecurity. He has already chosen to disobey God. Saul measures everything by a carnal understanding of external circumstances. David measures things by faith. David's success is linked to David's faith. But we're not talking about faith and faith. David has an unshakable confidence in the faithfulness of the Lord. And the reason why he has an unshakable confidence in the faithfulness of the Lord is because God is faithful. 
And in verse 32, it says, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him that is the giant. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David's statement is, Are you still afraid? You may have chosen discouragement. You may have chosen worry. You may have chosen guilt. You may have chosen failure. You may have chosen... Resentment. But some of you may have chosen the fear of death and the really patient and introspective person may have chosen the most dangerous giant of all, the one that looms larger than every other giant, and it's the giant of sin. It's the wicked pernicious presence of sin? Are you still afraid? David, the boy, says, Let no man's heart fail because of the giant. Your servant will go and will fight the Philistine. You know what? Life can basically boil down into two different kinds of battles. The battle that you were never meant to fight and the battle that you can rightly and appropriately fight. There's a certain battle that you were never meant to fight. And you know what battle that is? It's for salvation and it's for redemption and it's for overcoming the fear of death. Guess what? Jesus Christ is your champion. You can never forgive yourself. You can never cleanse your own sin. You can never be reconciled to God apart from the work of Jesus Christ. And so if your biggest fear is that you won't be accepted by God, guess what? Jesus is taking care of that. He's died on the cross for your sins. This is why Paul would write in the book of Ephesians, you are chosen and you are adopted and you are accepted in the beloved. And this is why Paul would write in the book of Colossians that you are complete in him. You can't be incomplete if you're complete. And so if you're worried about being accepted by God, Jesus has already taken care of that. Let no man's heart fail. Jesus has taken up your banner and your cause. You know, it's interesting to me. David has been anointed with oil, remember, by the prophet. And he has been anointed with oil, which means he's sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And remember in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 17, David has been sent by his father. And he has been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And our Jesus, our champion Jesus, was sent by his Father and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 33, it says, And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with you, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And remember what we learned the last time that we were together. Whenever you embark in a battle of faith, You're going to always get two perspectives. God's perspective and man's perspective. It was 
Warren Wiersbe, he wrote such a, a great little comment on this particular passage. Warren Wiersbe wrote, when we walk by sight, we calculate everything from the human perspective. And this always leads to discouragement. Saul, the man after the flesh, Saul is looking at the giant who is looming large and all he sees is someone who cannot be defeated. That's human perspective. He writes, but when we walk by faith, God comes into the equation and that changes the results from the human perspective. Goliath looks like a giant too big, too powerful to defeat. But from David's godly perspective, Goliath looks like a target too big to miss. That is funny. And when you see the giant looming large in your life and you go, it's enormous. Your freakishly large friend. Yeah, you can't miss him. I have some tall friends in my life. And when I'm in a large group with my tall friends, I just look for their head above everybody else's head. So I know where to go. He writes, and I quote, David's encouragement came from God. And this is one of the secrets of his life. David found strength in the Lord his God despite criticism and discouraging counsel and bad advice. David will trust the Lord his God and God will reward his faith. Today you will consider reasons to live by faith or by sight. Life is a continual presentation of choices. When we choose to live by sight, transformation goes in and the direction in the direction of ineffectiveness, immobility and insignificance. But when we choose to live by faith, trusting in God to direct our lives, transformation goes in the direction of godly usefulness and action and significance. Whatever giants you face right now, just take a moment and look up and see that they are dwarfed by the God who cares for you. Saul uses two excuses to dissuade the young shepherd. You're young and you're inexperienced. And so he seeks to discourage the boy. By the way, the dictionary defines discouragement as, quote, to deprive of courage, to deter, to disenhearten, to hinder. It's all of those D words that you've heard over and over again. Doom, depression, defeat, despair, disaster. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. You don't have to be discouraged because guess what? Jesus Christ the Lord is the Savior, the Redeemer, the Reconciler. Later, Paul will say that even if our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. And you look, and there does come a time when you get a little bit older, and you look in the mirror, and it looks like 
the outward man is perishing. You know, when I buried my father last week, there was something wrong. In New Orleans, they have a different kind of a funeral. And my father wanted a New Orleans type of funeral. And he had an open casket. And what happens often when you have an open casket funeral is the person who is lying dead there does not look like the person that you knew and that that you grew up with. It looks strangely false. It it, It looks wrong. And you begin to understand something. That death is more than just awkward. It is what the Bible says that because human beings sin, all people die. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And whenever you embark to love the Lord and to honor the Lord and to embrace the Lord and follow the Lord... There will be those people who will tell you that your giant can't be defeated simply on the basis of the promises of God and the presence of God. But look at how David deals with the discouragement. Look at verse 34. He makes an appeal to experience. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock... In verse 35, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck it and I killed it. In verse 36, your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine. Too much information, David. Will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. You have to understand something. David's faith is not a presumptuous faith. It's one thing to look to the Lord, but it's another thing to ask and answer the question, what really is the chances of success? Here, for David, David appeals to how God delivered him in the past. And when he appeals to how God delivered him in the past, he reinforces the reality of assurance in the present circumstance. And that becomes one of the keys to you dealing with whatever crisis and whatever giant you happen to be dealing with. How has God dealt with you in the past? Question. Here's the question to you. Does he continue to love you? Does he continue to be faithful to you? Has a single promise of God failed? Has he ever been unfaithful, unwilling? David was strengthened by his past experience. David is sent by his father and David is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. But David is strengthened by his past experiences 
and victories. And let me be the first, if I'm not the first to tell you, that the reality is when you have small victories in your life, when you obey the Lord in the little things, you can obey the Lord in the medium-sized things. And you can obey the Lord in the greater things. David's faith is not only not presumptuous, but it's also principle. It's a principled faith. David evaluates Goliath's challenge not in light of Goliath's size or Goliath's armor. Do you know how David is evaluating the challenge? He's evaluating it in light of God's Word. That's his perspective. And you know what he determines? That Goliath is guilty of blasphemy. If you just go ahead in the text real quick to verse 45, it says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come with me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but, but I come to you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel. Look what it says. Whom you have defied. Guess what? When a person decides to dishonor God, when a person decides to disobey God, when a person decides that the Bible is not true and that you shouldn't obey it, they need to be willing to accept the consequences of their very, very bad decision. A.W. Tozer used to say, true faith rests upon the character of God and asks no further proof than the moral perfections of the one who cannot lie. It is enough that God has said it. What does God say concerning you and concerning the giant? The Lord used David. And saved David in, in the past under extreme circumstances. The Lord saved him from the lion. The Lord saved him from the bear. He had experienced the protective care of God. And David knew that he could trust the Lord in every area and every circumstance. Guess what? Saul never learned that lesson. Do you remember his story? Do you remember how God intervened in Saul's life? Do you remember how the Lord had given Saul the victory in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verses 6 through 11? But instead of trusting the Lord, he acted with presumption in 1 Samuel chapter 13. He relied on his own self. He relied on his own resources. And he collapsed under the external pressure because he didn't have the internal faith and the internal trust and the internal connection to the true and the living God. It's the inner principle. It's the inner instruction. It is the promise of God. And it is the presence of God. And it is the faithfulness of God. And it is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the promises of God that gives a person the ability to say, guess what? This is true. And that is false. Well, you know everybody dies, yeah. In Adam, all people die, but guess what? In Christ, everyone is made alive. You've gone to the well too many times. No, that's not true. In First John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just, he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. There's no more forgiveness for you. That's not true. There's no rest for you. No, Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. 
There's the darkness of the blackness of the night that's surrounding me. It is true. It is dark tonight, but the sun is going to come up and joy comes in the morning. Guess what? No matter how painful, no matter how dark, no matter how bleak, you can trust the Lord. And listen carefully. Saul was never truly convinced of God's involvement and God's commitment in his own life. Are you? Are you convinced? Are you convinced? Have you experienced the forgiveness of sin in Christ? Are you convinced that God is faithful? Are you convinced that His promises are true? Are you convinced that during the darkest and the saddest of circumstances that you have an anchor that is secure? David was keenly aware of the external threat. But he was also aware of the abiding presence of God and the abiding promise of God and the abiding power of God. David was keenly aware that God had worked in the past. And because God had worked in the past, he had every confidence to believe that God would work in the present. And clearly, David has a secret weapon. And the secret weapon isn't simply his shepherd's heart. It's the fact that he's the true shepherd of Israel. In his private life, he risks his life to rescue a a lamb. And guess what? The man who will fight for a defenseless sheep, a man who will meet a lion and who will meet a bear, Look what it says in verse 36, that he shall be like one of them. And so Saul's Saul's statement, go and the Lord will be with you. I think it carries a a, a twinge of sadness and maybe a little bit of disingenuousness. Have you ever met someone who acted religious and in the pretense of religion, they'll say something like, God bless you. But you know that they don't know God. They're extending a blessing to you, but they are so utterly and totally disconnected from the God whose blessing they're calling upon. Go, the Lord be with you. (laughs) But maybe there's a twinge memory of what it was like to hear from God and to be used by God. Have you ever heard from God? Have you ever been used by God? Let me share something with you. If you've been used by God, And if you've heard from God in the past, and it only constitutes a distant memory in your life, it's time to wake up and to hear from God all over again. 
It shouldn't be something that's happened in the past. It should be something that's happening in the present. And look at verse 38, the combatants. It says, so Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. And in verse 39, it says, David fastened his sword to his armor and he tried to walk, but he hadn't tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk in these. I haven't tested them. And so David took them off. Saul's armor is a sorry substitute for the armor of faith. Now, remember who who Saul is. He's the man after the flesh. Remember, Saul's armor looks almost exactly like the Philistines' armor. What did Paul say in the New Testament? Did he say that do do we battle in the same way that the world battles? Is the weapons of our warfare carnal or are they spiritual? You know the answer. You can tell me. Pretend like it's a Pentecostal church and it's okay to talk to me. Is the weapons of our warfare carnal or spiritual? It is a spiritual weapon. The armor of the flesh doesn't suit the man of faith. They're unproven. Brass, helmet, coat of mail. There's two kinds of things that protect you. Listen carefully because this part is important. Proven and unproven. He's going into battle with something that has not been proven. Let me ask you a question. Has the Lord passed the test? In David's young life. Has the Lord been faithful when he faced the lion? Has the Lord been faithful when he faced the bear? The Lord has been proven. You can trust God. In Psalm 91, 2, it says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God. And in Him will I trust. You can trust the Lord. Augustine said, Trust the past to God's mercy. The present to God's love. The future to God's providence. Don't trust the past to help you in the present. And don't trust the present to help you in the future. But rather, trust the Lord. D.L. Moody said, trust in yourself and you're doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends. They will die and they will leave you. Trust in money and it can be taken away from you. Trust in your reputation and there are slanderous tongues that will blast it. But trust in God and you are never to be confounded in time or eternity. Oh, make no mistake about it. There are times that we are grateful for our friends. And we are grateful for the stewardship and the provision that God has given. We are grateful for our reputation. But guess what? God never asked you to trust in your reputation, but to trust in the Lord. Corrie ten Boom, that great Dutch patriot who survived a Nazi concentration camp, 
I was at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, many, many years ago, and she said something so remarkable. She said, I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. But whatever I placed in God's hands, those are the things I still possess. Have you ever wanted to hold on to something and make sure that you never lost it? Then put it in the place where it will always be secure. And look at verse 40. It says, Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Now so far we've discovered something that combat requires the right equipment and he must fight. We have seen Goliath. He is a walking tank. Goliath has armor. Saul has armor. David also has equipment. Goliath has the power of Satan. And Saul has the power of the flesh. But David's power doesn't lie in stones or slings or pouches. David's power lies in David's faith. The equipment of Saul like I said, would have looked almost identical to the equipment of Goliath. And for David, his equipment is the equipment of his shepherd. He has a staff, he has a bag, and he has a sling. Now again, the equipment of a shepherd doesn't look like it's any match for the equipment of a warrior. In the Bible, a shepherd's staff becomes a type and a picture, the tool that he uses to guide the flock. A shepherd's staff became a symbol of the shepherd's authority, and in this case, it's divine authority. And the smooth stones are a type and a picture of those things which seem weak and which seem small and which seem insignificant. It seems foolish. But isn't there... A statement in the New Testament that says that God will sometimes use foolish things? And who made that rock? God made the rock. It's a missile that was designed and fabricated by God. And it lay in a stream. And for days. And months. And years. And decades. And millennium, water washed over the surface of the stone and made it smooth. When you were a kid, did you ever go to the side of a river or a lake and pick up a smooth stone and skip it on the surface of the water? Even today in Israel, throughout the Middle East, you'll find shepherd boys with slings. And the sling isn't like the sling that you and I grew up with, like Dennis the Menace, where you have this piece of wood that points both ways and a, and a piece of rubber tubing and a piece of leather and you 
shoot it. You, you know, when you're a kid, you get pretty good with this stuff. You set up the beer cans and you start blasting away. Or maybe you had a BB gun and you shot at things that you weren't supposed to, that you promised your mom and dad you wouldn't shoot at. And David grew up in a world where there were two long leather sinews and there was a piece of leather in between it and he would hurl it around his head and he would release one of the pieces of leather and it became a type of a missile. The shepherd's bag is that thing which contains the sufficient faith that's found in the Lord and the sling is the instrument of trust. The sling is that instrument which depends on God's guidance and God's strength and God's provision. And Paul reminds us how the Christian is outfitted for battle. We have a sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. We have the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith. But even though we are outfitted for the battle, we have the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. We have the helmet of salvation. We have the shield of faith. But in spite of all of those instruments, we have something even more. And it's the presence of God Himself. It is the true and the living God. And the Lord makes two promises before sending us to face the giants. His presence and His power. I'm going to ask you a question. You don't have to say it out loud. This is the part where you, we can now go from Pentecostal to Baptist church, okay? This is, this is sort of a rhetorical question where you don't actually have to tell me the answer. And the question, of course, is, have you ever said to yourself, I think I need more than the power of God and the presence of God in order to defeat this giant? And I'm here to tell you that you're sadly mistaken. That if you have the power of God and you have the presence of God, there is no other instrument that's going to take you to the place where you need to be. And that's the promise that the Lord makes. You have my presence. You have my power. Do you know what that means? It must mean minimum that you'll never walk alone. So think about this. Now think, think, think. You never walk alone and you never walk in weakness. Do you ever feel all by yourself? And do you ever feel like you've been drained of whatever energy and strength that you may have? But the Lord says, I'll give you the ability. And I'll give you the strength and I'll give you the victory against every oppressor. Just ask Joshua. Just ask Moses. Ask Abraham. Ask Daniel. Ask Isaiah. Ask David. Ask Peter. Ask James. Ask John. Because you know what all of them have in common? They all killed giants. And in the process, they became giants. Not to be afraid of, except if you're Satan. But giants of faith. 
And I'm going to suggest something to you. It could happen to you. You could go out into the field of battle in the land of the giants with the presence of God and with the power of God. And in verse 41, look what it says. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Verse 43, So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? That you come with me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. I picture him speaking in that Philistine language, like Andre the giant, only with a distinctly Hebrew accent. Now, think about this for a minute. Goliath understood the weapons of war. He understood what a shield was, and he understood what a sword was, and he understood what a spear is. The giant has no idea of what to make of a sling or what to make of a stone until it comes crashing right into his head, right between his eyes. And the giant that you're facing has no idea about what it means to trust the power of God and to trust the presence of God and what it means to trust the promises of God. And in verse 44 it says, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. This is Philistine trash talking. But that's exactly what it is. It is trash talking. The shepherd boy is disdained in verse 42. Cursed in verse 43. Defied in verse 44. Doesn't that sound like David's son? Disdained, cursed, defied. But David has a little trash talking himself. Look at verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David will meet the giant. David meets the strong man in his armor. And Goliath comes at David with a sword and a spear and a javelin. Do you know what those instruments have in common? They are designed to kill you at a distance. And at close quarters. These are instruments designed to kill you from far away and to kill you up close. And that becomes the design of every giant that opposes the things of God and the promises of God. It's designed to hurt you from a distance. It's designed to hurt you up, up close. But make no mistake about it, his weapons are carnal. And David's are spiritual. 
And so David reminds the giant of his great blasphemy and that David will trust God's claims and that David will trust God's power. Now look, David has been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. David has been sent by his father. David is sustained by the word of the Lord and strengthened by experience. And it's those things that become the collective armament for him to do battle with the enemy. And look at verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and I will take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth, look at this, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Do you understand what David's saying? They're going to write a book about this. They're going to make a made-for-TV movie special. And everybody's going to watch it. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. David isn't interested in honor. He isn't interested in riches, and he isn't interested in fame. He isn't agreeing to a duel with the, to the death. He isn't looking for some sort of ultimate fighting experience for power and prestige. Do you understand what he's doing? David is interested in God's honor alone. By the way, this becomes one of the keys to you dealing with your own giant. Are you ashamed because of what the giant is making you do? Are you ashamed because of the way that the giant is making you act and behave? Maybe it's time for you to understand something, something a little bit different. And that is that when you are in slavery and when you are in bondage and when you are in fear and when you are living a life of discouragement, when you are living a life of estrangement from the power of God and the presence of God and the promises of God, it makes God look bad. Have you ever met someone and you said, that's what it means? If that's what a Christian is like, that's not what I want to be like. How is it possible that a Christian acts exactly like an unbeliever during times of crisis? David accepts the challenge because David is going to vindicate the Lord that he loves and that he trusts. This is about you loving and trusting the Lord. Robert Bergen has a keen insight on the passage, and I'm going to give you a quote. It deserves a hearing. Listen, David Bergen writes, and I quote, As David viewed it, Goliath was outnumbered and would soon be overpowered, for the Lord would fight with David against the giant. In the battle that would occur this day, verse 46, the Lord would hand Goliath over to David. Then for his part, the young shepherd would strike Goliath, down and cut off his head and David's efforts would not be limited to slaying Goliath. He would also slaughter and humiliate the Philistine army. Yet the Philistines wouldn't die in vain. 
In fact, their destruction would serve as a high theological purpose. It would be a revelatory event by which the whole world would know that there's a God in Israel achieving a depth of insight remarkable for a person of any age. Young David perceived that the events of this day would give rise to a narrative account that would reveal the Lord's power and the Lord's reality to everyone who was willing to listen. Eyewitnesses to the ensuing battle would learn an additional truth from the Lord that it's not by the sword and it's not by the spear that the Lord saves but the battle belongs to the Lord this isn't your fight it's God's fight in Christ the preacher Robert Murray McShane said a Christian's peace is peculiar it flows from Christ It's heavenly. It's a holy peace. His warfare is as peculiar. It is deep-seated and agonizing, and it doesn't cease until death. Your warfare isn't like everybody else's warfare. And your weapons aren't like everybody else's weapons. You have the power of God and the presence of God. And the promises of God. And look at the conquest in verse 48. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. That doesn't sound like a coward. In verse 49, then David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank in his forehead and he fell face down on the earth. Game, match, it's over. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, Troy, where Achilles comes to get this massive giant. He, you know, Brad Pitt's this little guy. Or is it Brad Pitt that's... Yeah. Brad Pitt's this real little guy, and there's this massive giant, and he starts running towards the giant. And he just runs towards the giant, and he picks up his sword, and he buries it in, inside of this guy's neck and shoulder. Game is over. David's stone lands on the one place that the giant has left unprotected. He's covered with body armor. And there's only one soft spot right between his gigantic eyes. And in verse 50, it says, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. In verse 51, Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, and he took his sword and he drew it out of his sheath and he killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now think about it. The Lord allows David to place the giant's sword in his own hand and he uses it to cut the giant's head off. The thing that was the instrument of death in the hand of the giant becomes the very thing that becomes his own undoing. Death. Sword. Death's sword is placed in the hand of the shepherd and death is destroyed. 
This is exactly what happens to Jesus. Jesus goes to a cross and he dies the death that you deserve. And then he rises from the dead to destroy death forever with the promise that he's going to bring each and every one of you back to life. And by the way, that's exactly what will happen. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, guess what? Every single human being from Adam to the last person who will ever live to the last person who draws their last breath will be brought back to life. Some to spend eternity with God and some to spend eternity apart from God. And look at what it says in verse 52. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sha'arim, even as far as Gath and Ekron, which is the gates of the kingdom of Philistia. The whole nation of Israel benefits from David's victory. Look again at the passage in verse 51 and 52. The men of Israel are chasing a defeated foe. That army has already lost. David has won the victory. They're already defeated. And you know what? Jesus has already defeated the devil. The devil is a defeated foe. He has already lost. And the giant, the giant that you've named, he's already lost. He's already been defeated. The whole nation of born-again believers benefit from Jesus' victory. And the victory of Jesus is our victory. And look what it says in verse 54. The conquerors returned. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. So he put his armor in his tent. I've always wondered about that. What was it? Why do you suppose David kept the giant's head? Because he's a kid and it's just, check it out. Look at this head. And can you imagine the face of Goliath? His eyes are just like this. He has absolutely no idea of what's hit him. Why do you keep the giant's head? I think it's a good question. We're not told. The text doesn't tell us. But I think there's a simple explanation. It's because, as gross as this might seem to you, Goliath's head becomes a reminder of God's faithfulness. Now imagine, imagine you're an enemy of David and you're an enemy of Israel and you walk into his tent and you see this gigantic head with his mouth open and the eyes going. You know what that head would do? It would strike Fear and terror into the hearts of David's enemies. You know, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writes, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. David took the head of Goliath to Jerusalem so everyone could see it. 
Think about David for just a moment. The kid from Bethlehem grows up and fights a giant in the valley of Elah and then goes to Jerusalem where he displays a defeated foe for all the world to see. Jesus' execution is public and graphic. Jesus openly, publicly died for your sins, for all the world to see in the city of Jerusalem, the city of the great king. You know, the Bible says that all power has been given to Jesus. And God will give us power through Jesus to conquer our enemies, all of the trials, all of the tests, all of the temptations. And look what it says in verse 55. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the armor, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. Well, didn't Saul know this guy when he played the harp? Oh, yeah. But he's asking more information because remember what Saul has promised to the person who kills the giant? That he will become wed to his daughter. Hey, when someone is getting is marrying into your family, you're going to want to know who they are. So what happens as a result of this conflict? David is successful in the conflict by faith and by faith alone. He is sent by his Father. He is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He is committed to the Word of God, surrendered. The challenge of the giant and the challenge of the enemy is met. God vindicates his honor in verse 36. The earth knows that there's a true and living God in Israel in verse 46. And all the assembly do know that their Savior is God in verse 47. And the road, the road, the road to Jerusalem has been made safe for a new king. And by the way, the rest of the book of Samuel is going to be devoted as we watch the boy become a king. The cross of Jesus on Calvary's hill, the battle against death, won by Jesus, his death is overcome in a glorious resurrection. And the gospel of Jesus and the power of God frees the saints from the power of evil and then Jesus will be established as king. So what have we learned? Facing the giants? It's an intimidating experience. Doing battle, it's a lonely experience. Trusting God, it's a stabilizing experience. But winning the victory, you just never know what it's like until you have a head in your office. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for those little victories. When the lion is defeated and the bear is overcome. Lord, I pray for that person who wonders whether or not 
your promise and your presence and your power is enough to overcome the giant. But Lord, we know that we walk by faith and not by sight. That it is not the external circumstances that dictate our course of action, but rather it is the statement that God makes in His Word concerning what we are to do. And so, Lord, we know this, that You can be trusted. And I pray, Lord, for that person who has found themselves unable or unwilling to trust you. Lord, I pray that they would do exactly that. That they would turn from their sin and turn to the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.